Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Age is just a number, but it does make you feel old. You know, you'll have to... to to drag me out of the booth and, and pry the microphone out of my cold, dead hand. Welcome in to Heart of the Game, the new podcast series from WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm your host, Nate Abaurea. Follow me on Twitter, at Nate Abaurea, and you can follow WorldSoccerTalk.com on Twitter, at world soccer talk what we want to do with this show is share conversations with the folks who make up the fabric of football former players current players coaches supporters writers and most certainly broadcasters and with us here on episode one of this show is a man who's been calling soccer matches on american television for the better part of three decades our good friend Christian Miles. And in addition to breaking down the pros and cons of the current soccer broadcasting landscape and waxing nostalgic on the glory days of Fox Sports World, we also talked about Christian's love for Arsenal Football Club and Fiorentina, as well as Christian's current work, calling LA Galaxy matches and his expectations for 2020, aka the year of Chicharito. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Christian Miles, how you doing, sir? Nate, how are you? Long time, my friend. How's it going? I'm doing good. It's been a while, but we are uh, back together on the microphones here. Part of the game in conjunction with WorldSoccerTalk.com. So many people who are fans of World Soccer Talk, so many people who are fans of the Premier League and really a certain significant and important demographic of soccer fans in America, um, they know you, they know your name alongside Mm -hmm. names like the indomitable Maximiliano Bretos and London Miyagi himself, Nick Webster, and a few other select individuals who back in the late 90s um, very much were the only option when it came to English language coverage uh, of the beautiful game with a world view. Um, when you hear what I'm just laying out right now, what goes through your mind, Christian Miles, when you think back to Fox Sports World and all that was? I'm old. I'm ancient. <laughs> Almost fossil-like. Uh, that was a long time ago, my friend. But 
those were good times, uh, difficult times, but really enjoyable times. Uh, we all got a chance to cut our teeth uh, at a time when soccer was kind of soccer broadcasting was cutting its teeth uh, here in the states. So it was a lot of time of learning and. You know, some great friendships came out of it and relationships. So, you know, I look back on it positively and in a lot of fond memories. Now, uh, I spoke with uh, the aforementioned Max Bredos recently. He had a similar reaction saying, hey, Nate, don't age me. Don't age me. Come on now. We're still <laughs> we're still working. Max likes to remind me that he is still very much an active sports broadcaster. And <laughs> you are still an active sports broadcaster as well. What's new for, for Christian Miles here in, in 2020 as you are still very much a young and able wordsmith of the microphone, sir? Well, I, I will take that uh, with a grain of salt. But uh, yes, I'm, I'm still here. You can't make me go away, much to some of the listener and viewer chagrin, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, it's I love the game. I, I I'm currently I do a work broadcasting work on the radio side with the Los Angeles Galaxy, and I've been doing that for about the last five seasons now, and continue to fill in on an as needed basis with Fox at FS1 and FS2 on on various uh, leagues and such, the Bundesliga and the odd uh, FIFA tournament here and there, and I also. Uh, freelance here in the Southern California area, meaning I, I work for a variety of broadcasters in the local area, as well as uh, Pac-12 networks covering the college soccer game, as well as some USL as well, and some other sports, including basketball and, and others. So enough to keep me busy and, and enough from a, um, to keep me out of my wife and my, my two small children's hair for a while. <laughs> now, as the game of soccer has has grown exponentially in this country since those Fox Sports World days that we talk about that I very much came of age with, that many of the broadcasters themselves came of age with. Again, those conversations with Nick, with Max, with yourself, and with a few other very, very special individuals over the years who talk about growing up with that network and growing up uh, with working with that network. And so I, I have to ask you now, as, as you're a more experienced veteran of the broadcasting industry, as the game has grown and as soccer broadcasting has grown with it, is it actually easier to find work these days or about the same? Or is it perhaps even harder to find work these days in terms of specifically soccer in America? You know, I think it's it's circumstantial and based on an individual basis, kind of case by case. Uh, there are more outlets and with evolving technology and as the sport has grown, they've kind of been symbiotic. You know, technological growth has been reflected in the growth of the game and it's kind of benefited each. Um, but it's also led to uh, it being spread out over a wide variety of uh, outlets and it's available at you know, many different formats, such as on the phone, apps, and other broadcasters as well. Back in the day when Fox Sports World, as you were mentioning, we were kind of the consolidated place where you would go to watch soccer. So if you were an international fan, you knew if you went to Fox Sports World, you were going to get the German Bundesliga, the Italian Serie A, uh, even the Scottish Premier League, and, and all the great other European leagues as well as South America and some major league soccer, but now it's it's fragmented across a variety of broadcasters, so it can make things more difficult. But it's kind of a reflection of, of sports programming in general. I mean, you know, with choice leads 
more fragmentation, more opportunities uh, to work for different outlets and such. So it's been good. It's been bad. But I think overall, it's 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 the way things are, like it or not. And uh, the sport continues to grow amidst the changing landscape of technology. And I think it's largely been to the sport's benefit. Now, that's definitely something that uh, WorldSoccerTalk.com has covered uh, in depth, the uh, the evolution of streaming and, and what that's done uh, to people wanting to watch the game, wanting to be a part of the game, and what that's done for broadcasters of the game. And I guess it's kind of a part two to what I was asking you about there a second ago. How have you felt about the evolution of uh, streaming in uh, international soccer, and how is that related to what you do and and your ability to to work as a broadcaster? Well, streaming has been great because it brings more accessibility and and more eyeballs, more soccer to the viewing audience, if you will. Um, But it does lead to the fact that there's uncertainty with this evolving technology because it's so new in streaming that there isn't the amount of resources devoted to the production and broadcast of some of these games. Sure, at the higher levels of the English Premier Leagues, as well as, you know, even the the Bundesliga and some of the ESPN Plus properties, yes, the production value is there. But when you start going into some of the other streams on a local level here in the States, some coming from Central and South America and then the lower tier European leagues, you know, there is a dip in production quality and, and broadcast quality, whether it be in the, the level and the uh, competency of announcers, the production, the producers as a whole, uh, technical aspects. Um, so it's, it's good and bad, but I think overall, you know, more soccer is better for anybody who likes the game. So is, is this effect on me? Is it, is, is it allowed for more growth into different areas and to, to learn more about this technology and how it interacts with the game? But it's also not the same as uh, before where, yes, there are more jobs, but not necessarily as lucrative as the old <laughs> television days. And I, I, I think that's indicative of television across a broad spectrum. You, you know, talk to anybody that worked in TV you know, up until the mid 2000s and salaries and um, budgets were a lot higher because, you know, viewing numbers were higher. There was larger demand because there was less technology and other venues for viewers or listeners to watch or listen to the game. So now that that's become diluted a bit, resources go down. And uh, so it's 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 not quite the big fat checks of the old days <laughs> for, for a lot of the broadcaster, broadcasters. So not that we were, you know, minting our own uh, paychecks over at Fox Sports World. I can tell you that was not the case um, as we were operating very, very much a shoestring would be stretching it. Uh, so, yeah, that's been the change. It's it's a lot of more resources, but people are, are scaling down the level of productions. And, and so that's reflected in, in a lot of the quality. The juxtaposition between those days, those late 90s, early 2000s days that you talk about and now there's there's so many different ways that that we could look at it one really interesting point i think within soccer broadcasting is just that age-old toss-up of the canned call from the studio versus live and in the flesh and you're at the ground you're feeling everything versus calling in the studio now a lot of people like to really go hard in on on the negative aspects of calling games from the studio. Oh, you're missing so much emotion. The announcer's disconnected. I always like to throw out the devil's advocate point, which is that those Fox Sports World days, the way that 
you guys were doing calls from the studio was like no other. That was in a world of its own. And the stories from Max, Nick, yourself about calling eight games in a day and getting in at 3.30 in the morning into that lot on the Fox lot there in L.A. That was some beautiful stuff. There are times now where you feel like broadcasters would be so much more capable of being in the ground where it almost feels like we're reverting. We're going back to a lot of canned studio broadcasting. What are your your thoughts on on that, how that's evolved, and maybe perhaps how it has kind of regressed uh, over over the last few years? Yeah, it's, it's, it's led to, because there's so much uncertainty in broadcasting and, and traditional over-the-air TV numbers are down, and with this evolving technology, there's a lot of uncertainty, which leads to people not wanting to devote the resources uh, to things. So uh, it has led to a little bit of a dilution in in the quality of these broadcasts. Uh, But I think that it has also led to more availability of these broadcasts. But And the effect that it has is, for instance, if a broadcasting company has the rights to a certain league, they don't want to travel people. And because of technology, they can scale down their crews and not only throw the announcers in a booth, but also scale down these crews where it would take – you know, 20 of us to, to broadcast a game in a control room and all the supporting behind the scenes staff. Now that's, you know, it's been vastly scaled down. So, yes, it has allowed for more accessibility and more of a wide breadth of viewership, but the quality goes down. So for me, it's, it's and, and we're the anomaly here at Fox Sports World, because if you talk to any up and coming broadcaster, they were on the grounds and they learned firsthand being on the grounds and they had that advantage of seeing things that the TV camera uh, couldn't see. Well, we didn't have that there. We were just given what the viewer would see over across the screen. So that forced us to learn that way. And so in our regard for a small set like Max and, and Nick and myself and anybody else affiliated with um, such broadcasting entities like Fox Sports World, it doesn't have much of an effect on us because that's all we knew. And that's what we learned. And unfortunately, you know, it it grew in scale, it grew in quality and ESPN became more actively involved and Fox upped its budget and everything. But now with the advent of all this evolving new technology, it's it has seen a regression back to the mean. And people, for instance, would rather have you in a, in a booth because it saves them from traveling you halfway across the country. And, I, you know, it's it's interesting. It depends on who you talk to. Uh, largely, I'm sure yourself and, and Chris and a lot of the discerning viewers on World Soccer Talk would know the difference between listening to a, a commentator who was in a booth um, as opposed to one on site. But I'd be very surprised if you told me that a lot of the average viewers could know the difference if the broadcaster was actually on site or not. Um, so in the end, I think it you know money trumps all. And if the resources are you know at a premium and 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 a, a bit at risk, shall we say, or not, not to the level that the broadcasters are willing to spend, then the, that will prevail and, and they will do it on the most economic, cost-effective basis as possible. Well, you brought up something really interesting there, and that is the the catering to the common fan, and that for most people tuning in, the average watcher of a soccer game on TV or on a streaming site, they're not going to probably be able to immediately go, hey, that guy's in a canned booth somewhere, that guy's in a studio somewhere, 
oh, that guy's live at the ground. We'll be able to do that because we've been around this stuff for a long time. And a lot of diehard soccer fans will be able to do that because they've watched so many games. But for average listeners and viewers, that's not the case. And I wonder how much the uh, evolution of the game in terms of the the growth of the game here in the United States in particular and the uh, the reaching out to the common fan, the common sports fan. How has that impacted this discussion? Maybe could you expand on that a little bit, the, the catering to the common sports fan in America? What does that have to do with what we're talking about right now? Well, the technology, because it's, it's, it's really expensive for a broadcaster to send a crew, a truck, and do the the way they used to do it in the old days, and, and they even do it in, for the larger sports, um, to justify the, the immense costs to produce a game. And for instance, just to get a truck out to a, a stadium is, you know, bare bones is probably going to be $35,000. Um, we're talking about the big semi trucks that you often see it at a stadium, but now they can scale it down where we used to have what you used to have in a big semi truck trailer. Now you can see games which i often do or broadcast from literally a horse trailer which has been converted into a control room <laughs> or often a large passenger van yeah. and they back those up and they are often capable of things similar to what those large production trucks were capable of certainly not to the level that those things were but are capable of them on a much lesser scale um and when economics come into it a broadcaster can look at it and say hey i can do this for significantly less, get it up on the air. And at the margin of return, in terms of profit for these, and the broadcasts of these games is so small that it's really hard to justify expanding and devoting a big budget to it. And that means sending these producers, sending these broadcasters out to the games and getting flights out and dedicating crews and traveling. So they often revert to the cheapest way possible to do it and that means a lot of the times doing it what we call off tube meaning in a booth and, and calling the game and or calling it from the studio uh remotely and uh that's kind of taken precedence over a lot of uh, the sports that aren't necessarily up there with the big four american sports which tend to get a lot bigger ratings and viewer numbers and, and drive higher shares and, and revenue for a lot of broadcasters over the last couple of decades, you've seen people slowly flock to working in soccer, coming from the quote-unquote traditional American sports and, and branching in uh, to soccer with the names that I've already mentioned uh, on, on this episode a few times and, and going back to the famed FS. W days and all my conversations with Nick Webster, we used to talk about, you know, those are pure soccer guys, just a bunch of soccer <laughs> guys hanging out, soccer only, football, football, football. And there was always that kind of separation that existed, and that's what made Fox Sports World so special for so many people. It was where you went. It was where it was our safe space, dare I say, as soccer fans <laughs> in America wanting English language content of the world's game from around the world. It was our safe space. It's where we went. With all of the things that we've already discussed here, obviously, we got to work. And there might not be that same availability to just be a soccer guy, to be a football broadcaster uh, these days. When did it really hit you that, that you had to branch out and, and harness those basketball skills and get that sideline reporter hat back on and, and really make sure that you were a, a well-rounded broadcaster? Caster to continue your career while still also working in soccer and being an ambassador for the beautiful game. 
Well, you just you, you do what you got to do. I mean, you've all got mouths to feed and bills to pay. And, you know, when the checks aren't coming in and you, you either, you know, evolve or adapt or or you you fail. And so, you know, it, and it's such an exponential growth curve right now with all of the technology and the way it's affected everything, the way we do it, the streaming, the apps and such. Um, and by by way, and me personally, with, with Fox going in another direction and kind of divesting itself out of club soccer, um, the broadcasting opportunities just are not there like they used to be with Fox in particular. Um, you know, they do have a FIFA contract, but for instance, they've lost the Premier League, the Serie A over the years, uh, the German Bundesliga, which will soon be going to ESPN+. Plus. So out here on the West Coast, they're... they're it, really isn't a lot in that network broadcast regard, especially with Fox. So I, I had to find a new way to make a living and like trying to utilize my broadcasting skills and apply them to other sports, which I know from, you know, growing up here in the States, I'm, I'm a basketball fan and always was a big basketball fan as well. And I don't believe in this. You can only be a soccer fan. It's it, And you can't be a fan of another sport and you can't be a fan of basketball and be a fan of soccer or football or baseball. That to me is just, it's ridiculous. Sports are for everybody, and there's you take what you like from one sport and you like some other sports. It's it's not a binary either or situation. Um, and I love basketball, and I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of work here with some local coverage. Um, nothing in, of the NBA caliber, uh, but at the college game for Pac-12 networks, both men's and women's, and it's also allowed me to to branch out into some other sports such as lacrosse, uh, while also maintaining. My involvement in soccer so a wider breadth never hurt anybody and i i really think that it's also from a broadcaster's point of view it's it's been good for me to learn things from a non-soccer uh perspective and and apply those lessons learned broadcasting other sports to soccer broadcasting and vice versa apply some of those things that i've learned while in my years traditionally of coming up through uh, broadcasting at Fox Sports and world soccer and domestic soccer to, to the more traditional American sports. So it's been mutually beneficial and it's, you know, you, you try and grow and adapt with the times. And that's, I think, what, you know, I'm doing. I think anybody out there in this business you're doing, we're just trying to get by and, and make make a living. And, and, you know, we're privileged to be doing what we're doing any day of the week. And, you know, as long as we're still on the air, then, hey, it's all good. <laughs> A wider breath, always beneficial. I love that line, Christian. And jumping off of that, though, and kind of putting a bow on on that little mini conversation there, you still work in soccer. You are still very active in the soccer community. You're a recognizable name in our American soccer broadcasting landscape, just our American soccer landscape as a whole. And as you've worn all these other hats and, and you've become a, a voice of college basketball and you're talking about branch out into all these other things which is great and you're still working and you're thriving and you're doing great things what does it mean specifically to still be a voice of soccer in 2020 after everything that you've poured in to the game in from la to all over this country and all, all over north america what does it mean that you're still a guest on a soccer show right now you are a voice of <laughs> soccer christian what is what does that mean to you it's special. It, it, I, I mean, it doesn't really give the viewers and the listeners much credit. They still have me around. But, um, <laughs> but no, it, it, soccer is, is my love. I love the game. I, I was I came into it late in life. I mean, I played growing up, um, but I, I stumbled into it late in life. And, and I, I absolutely love it. It's my sport by far. That it's, it's special to me. It's what I learned 
when I came up in this business. But the sport to me is the perfect reflection of life. And it's the perfect metaphor for life. And it's something that, to me, I've always held dearly. And, and as long, I always will be a part of this game as long as it will have me. So until someone is smart enough to throw me off the air, I'm still here and you're going to have to put up with me. <laughs> and what is the uh, outlook 2020-wise, specifically looking uh, at the beautiful game from, it could be from a broadcasting lens, it could be from a personal fandom lens, Look. Looking forward to the summer, the finales of uh, domestic seasons across Europe. 2020, we're still early enough for New Year's outlooks here. Uh, what are you most looking forward to in, in terms of soccer in 2020, Christian? From a professional perspective, I'm really looking forward to Major League Soccer taking off. Um, you know, when I initially started covering Major League Soccer back in the early mid-2000s, it was almost begrudgingly. Uh, because I'd grown up in a, in a European-centered uh, environment run by Europeans over at Fox Sports World and being one of the few Americans, along with Max, to, to work on it on the broadcasting and production side. So going over to MLS, yeah, to be honest, we did have a little bit of a European snobbery factor. Oh, but I love Major League Soccer. I've grown to love it. It is our league. It is unique. Um, I have a chance to to really see it firsthand grow, and I've been so impressed with the way it's grown commercially and the quality of, of the play on the field uh, and its accessibility and, and wide range of, of people that have come to love it. I love it. I'm so looking forward, especially from a Los Angeles Galaxy perspective, to, to see how they'll progress in this upcoming Major League Soccer year. I've always had a, my, an affinity for the Italian Serie A, and having it on ESPN Plus has been really fun to have. I can stream any, any game and also being active on a social media side as well, um, covering some uh, Spanish soccer uh, over that's on being sports has been fun as well. So it's been fun covering that. I, I of course, will always have a little bit of a dear place in my heart for Fiorentina Calcio Club <laughs> in the heart of Florence, Viola, and um, as well as Arsenal Football Club, who one day, God willing, will get their act together. Well, it was all those uh, years watching Gabi Gol, watching Gabriel Batistuta back on uh, Fox Sports World. I remember your voice and uh, those men that we've already talked so much about uh, here on the show narrating those games. And, and it was such a an influential part of uh, of my soccer upbringing. Love the shout out to Fiorentina. Love the Arsenal shout out. I know we've uh, discussed that at length uh, uh, quite a bit. Any any positivity feelings for the Arsenal right now? Anything that you're feeling in a, in a positive fashion? about the Gunners? I, I feel that Arteta has given them a rudder and they are heading towards a more structured and stable environment and something that they have not had in the past, even, even towards the later years of Arsene Wenger, who stayed on much, much too long. But I don't have faith in this ownership model. I'm very disappointed in the Kroenke management group. And... You know, with the arrivals of the, of the new front office, who are still in its relative infancy. I know it's been about a year since a lot of the new guard have come in. We'll see how it happens. I think there's a big test coming up this summer for Arsenal. See how they adapt, how they can grow. Are they going to make those signings? Because it just has not been good enough for the last 10 years. And I'm always the one to lament the old David Dean days um, and Arsene Wenger when they revolutionized things, made those signings and and got those quote unquote top caliber A list players. And now the Arsenal has kind of devolved into signing you know players like Socrates 
and lesser caliber players. So hopefully they will return to those days and bring in those top caliber uh, types of talents. But fortunately for them, they're not the only ones in this booth or in this in that kind of company. Excuse me. Uh, Manchester United are going through some of those difficulties. It's it's been a lot of adjustment for them. So some of these clubs having to do uh, adjust with the, their new realities. And Arsenal hopefully will will turn that corner and, and and make a charge toward the top four. Well, and again, we talk about juxtaposition. It is wild as we're hearkening back to those Fox Sports World days when anybody who watched the Premier League in the 90s and early 2000s, there were two teams competing for titles for a 9-10 year run, and their names were Arsenal and Manchester United. And it is quite wild thinking here almost 20 years on uh, seeing where those clubs are at and when you compare and contrast to, to those olden days. Now, I love the fandom aspect of what you talk about, the slight bit of optimism that you're able to provide uh, for the future of Arsenal. I love the shout-out to Fiorentina and you spotlighting uh, your love for that great Italian club. But tying it back to the first club that you mentioned there and one that is still very much attached to you professionally, but also a, a club, a team with a spot in your heart, the Los Angeles Galaxy and, and your work with the Galaxy here in 2020, and whether it's on radio, television, national television is going to be coming in for a lot of games, radio streaming, whatever it may be, the name Chicharito is going to be ever-present on just about every microphone imaginable in English and Spanish and probably a few more languages as well. What does that mean to you, and, and what are you expecting from the, the Chicharito narrative in 2020 with the Galaxy? He is the perfect signing for the Los Angeles Galaxy. They've been big and long admirers of the Mexicans' talent. I believe it's time for him to come here. He will get goals. He's, in my estimation, in this league, a 20-plus goal scorer for at least the next two to three years. He's what we call the proverbial fox in the box, perfectly <laughs> positioned, I don't know how many commentators have characterized Chicharito going back to his first goal that he scored with Manchester United when it came off his backside. The guy is in the right place at the right time. Um, he's a striker that's, you know, he's not going to fill the shoes of a Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's not, he's not as good as Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and he's not the same type of player as Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's a player that needs service to flourish. He'll need some support. But if he knows how to get into the positions. He will score goals, and he'll also be a marketing coup for the LA Galaxy, which we know, like it or not, is an aspect that factors into Major League Soccer teams and their acquisition of big-time designated players. And he brings to light, will bring in Mexican fans who have been alienated throughout large segments of this mm -hmm. MLS history, I believe. And it's, it's nice to see that. I'm a huge fan of, I'm a huge fan of Liga MX as well and, and be... I was really surprised. I thought that he might be heading to Liga MX, might be heading back to Chivas where it all began for him and Carlitos Vela. But I'm so happy that the Galaxy have found him. He's a wonderful signing. It's a great chance for him to reinvent himself too on a pretty big stage after struggling in the European game throughout the large majority of the last two or three seasons. So I'm expecting big things for him this year. And it's got to be exciting for you as a broadcaster uh, seeing him on the on the pitch there in in Carson that's got to be something that that gets the gets the buzz and juices going as as a man of the microphone for sure right oh you know, it really does I mean anytime you're around a big player like that I'm, I'm not gonna make any bones about it anybody who knows me I'm a huge fan of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and I had a chance to I've, I've covered Zlatan since he was an 18 year old and had a chance to broadcast his debut 
um, after his transfer from Malmo to Ajax when we were covering the Dutch Eredivisie back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I was ecstatic when Zlatan was here as a fan of, of his personality and, and his skill on the pitch. And I was very sad to see him go. But, you know, times evolve, times change. And you welcome Chicharito with open arms. And I, I can't give a shout out to uh, the general manager and the behind the scenes staff at the LA Galaxy. Dennis Tecloza, I think, has been absolutely immense utilizing his European and Latin American, specifically Mexican contacts to bring in such big name players and attract a big name coach like a Guillermo Barros Esqueloto. So uh, I think they're heading in the right direction. And, and uh, so much of a club success, whether it be in Europe, whether it be in Major League Soccer, whether it be in Liga MX or down in Argentina, so much of it is business-based now. And you need someone with a strong rudder at the top who has vision, who has structure, and knows their way around the business side. And that is integral to any club's success. I believe the Galaxy have one of the best in the business here in North America, Dennis Tecloza, and they are heading uh, very much in the right direction. How can folks get a hold of you? How can they follow you? And how can they listen to you call some soccer matches, Christian Miles? Well, you just head over to LAGalaxy.com. You'll find the latest uh, online broadcasts as well as Sirius XM FC of LA Galaxy uh, soccer games. I'm also on Pac-12 Networks. You can reach me at Christian R. Miles on Twitter. And basically in and around the Southern California area, working on various uh, junior college basketball, Big West basketball, wherever. Just just turn on just turn on your computer. Turn on your app or, or turn on your laptop or your TV. I'll probably be around there somewhere. Well, it means you're doing something right. <laughs> I wish my wife said that. <laughs> well, we'll we'll end it on that note. And that's going to do it for the first episode of Heart of the Game. Another huge thanks to our guest, Christian Miles. Follow him on Twitter, at Christian R. Miles. And be sure to follow at World Soccer Talk as well. And stay tuned for more episodes of Heart of the Game. I'm Nira Barrea. Bye for now. <laughs>